it's about getting into schools and talking to young people because you know I, I know that people can change uh, and, it, and it's about talking to people and getting them to understand and perhaps step back from violence and, and prejudice and whatever and we just need to work together and keep on the good fight there absolutely Hey there guys, we are ecstatically happy to announce that we are associated with the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. The times are changing and with the unfortunate death of Sophie, those changes have made a massive impact for the future. If Sophie was with us still today, I can guarantee what you are doing will still be reaching so many lives of young teenagers, young adults and those who wish to be as different as possible so thank you very much to find out more about this incredible foundation and all the work they do and more importantly how you can help head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com hey jamie do you like being cozy i do and do you like staying cozy I like that even more. Then just head over to www.staycozyclothing.com where you can find hoodies, tees, sweaters, and much, much more. And just enter The Chronicles as one word at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And make sure you follow them on the Instagram at staycozyclothing to keep up to date with all the new designs. Remember, guys, that's The Chronicles as one word at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And now back to this week's episode. Hi, I'm Puppeteer Noel McNeil. Once upon a time, I was a bear in a big blue house. But now, I am proud to present The Chronicles of Podcast. Blow your airbed up with my ass, boys. Welcome to Hashtag WBW Way Back Wednesday. And these are the Chronicles of Noel McNeil. I am so excited to release this interview. Why Noel this week, Jamie? Well, there's a few reasons why Noel this week, Mr. Stevens. First off, this Friday's guest, Mike Moore, said his hobbit, his, his hobbit, one of his hobbies is puppeteering and making puppets. Is there any better man to work with puppets than Noel McNeil? Two days ago, the trailer for the next season of... Last week tonight with John Oliver dropped. This man's excited. And of yes, course, no one works on that show. And do you know the other reason why we're showing, putting this show out? Because it's possibly one of our favourite interviews we've ever yes. done. We got to talk to Bear in the Big Blue House. Noel was a genuinely lovely, just lovely guy. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where we could have sat and chatted for hours because of the stories he was telling us and just the conversation we're having is absolutely beautiful. He plugged his wife's book about 15 times. That's so you can hear about him that. from the corner of the room. Yeah. yeah. 
You better plug, plug the book, book now. Plug the book now. Plug the book now. Plug All the right. book. But yeah, so it was just an absolutely wonderful interview. I had so much fun. This when you booked him, and I looked up and I was like, oh my days. The excitement running through was unbelievable because obviously Noel works, as Jamie said, on last week tonight, which is probably one of my favourite shows, if not my favourite show ever. Um, if no one's watched it, why? You are really missing out. Um, but Noel has the privilege and the honour. The, the photo he put on Twitter of him sat at John's desk and I was just like, oh my days, I'm so jealous right now. I want to <laughs> sit there. This incredible. But yeah, Noel is just one of the... He also works on Sesame Street. He did. He told us some amazing stories from his time on Sesame Street. Amazing stories. And so much passion he has, like in his voice, you can hear it for Bear, a Bear in the Big Blue House. You know, the man loves what he does. And it's absolutely incredible. Oh, I love this so much. And he also reads you some stories on Spotify that you can go and find and check out as well. I'm just very excited to get this out, Jamie. So shall we? Let, let's. Jamie, any final words? Noel, we love you. Everyone else, enjoy this interview because it's incredible. Noel, thank you so much again for being a part of our show. It meant the absolute world. So I could just a genuine pleasure and obviously get to talk to somebody who I admire quite a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, these are the chronicles of Noel McNeil. The there man he himself. Is. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, no. I'm pretty tired. <laughs> Just, it's been a, it's been a hell of a day. I went out last night because the Euros are on, um, okay. and Scotland played England, and I'm, and I know the accent gives it away, but I'm actually Scottish, and I stayed out quite late, um, <laughs> and then I had to work all day today. So I'm, yeah, we're still, we're still gonna be on my game, but you know, I <laughs> thought I'd be honest with you. <laughs> That's fine. No, no worries. And it was like after eight o'clock at night now, so. Yes, so you know, so it's early evening. It's okay. I should not be this tired at this time. To be fair, right. <laughs> right? This is you'll get this out of the way, then you go back out, and then you'll uh, celebrate how, some more. How do you know my schedule? Drown your sorrows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, but thank you so much for doing this. We really, really appreciate it. Sure, no worries. Really looking forward to this one. I'm thank loving you. that shirt, by the way. Oh yes, this is this is. Old school Banana Republic. I don't know if you had that store franchise in the UK, but this was a, a store franchise in um, in the US. And like back in the nineties, it was it was kind of like kind of like sort of like um, I don't know, kind of like um, more tropical kind of theming and <laughs> kind of. So it's like this. It's the shirt, but it's like all these like sea creatures like all over it. So That's like, amazing. It's yeah, so amazing. cool. That is amazing. And this is like it's over like I think it's like twenty five years old, but I only wear it like you know during the summer, so it's held up. So it's like I don't wear it all the time. <laughs> so, and they scrapped that and became more like you know, you know, like more just like basic kind of like shirt and tie and kind of stores. And they just dropped this, but it's like yeah, it's one of my favorite summer shirts. So. So on the eve of summer, I thought I would like pull it out. Beautiful. It is stunning. So, oh, and, and went, I'm sorry, to show off my, my very pretty mug, but if you really look at it, that is so that's cool. really clever and cool. <laughs> a gift from a really good friend. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, there you go. 
yeah, it's not the like, detail you expect when you first look at that. That's I know, we just look at it, it's like, oh, it's so pretty. And it's like, it was, you know, like wait a minute. It's like, yeah. <laughs> that Rodan? What? <laughs> oh, so basically, Jamie is going to do a massive intro and then we're going to absolutely bombard you with questions. How does that sound? <laughs> like, there we go. <laughs> Beautiful. I'll get us started. All right. Ladies and gents, today we have with us a very special guest. This man has worked on so many incredible projects, including one of the most iconic kids TV characters of the late 90s, early 2000s. He's an actor, a puppeteer, a writer, an author, and has done one of the greatest things you can do and brought smiles to children's faces all around the globe. Everybody, please welcome, welcome, welcome to Chronicles, the amazing and wonderful Noel McNeil. Hello, everybody out there. <laughs> Absolute pleasure to have you here, sir. Thanks for tuning in. Now, the disclaimer with that really long intro, it's just telling you folks that he's old. He's been doing this a really long time. <laughs> and now you're about to hear an old man babble about diggling, you know, wiggling dolls and just <laughs> uh, sit back, pop over the Boddingtons, and we'll just get started. <laughs> Is, is Bollington still around? I don't know. Is it? You tell me. I was just <laughs> no. like, it's like, it's like, the last time I had it, I think it was like 1998 or so. I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm actually investigating that because I used to really like, but I don't know why, but I used to really like it. I haven't seen it for a very long time. Wow. Dag. Okay. Well, see, that's your next, that's your next podcast. That's your next... <laughs> yeah. Get the creator of Boddington's. Get the Boddington's <laughs> brewery on here. <laughs> okay. Tom's Boddington's review. Yes. Thud's Chronicles. <laughs> anyway no uh how has the last year been for you my friend well let's see what has happened in the last year or more accurately what has not happened <laughs> in the last year because a whole of a heck of a lot has not happened um there was like so many plans that were going to happen i've been doing a lot here in um, the states and i was hoping to maybe even get over to the uk i've been doing more uh comic-con appearances and so I had a couple of plans, like that was gone. Um, we were about to do the uh, Sesame Street movie here last year, and that w- that went away. No. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but basically, aside from work, like um, at my my son, my wife here, we were safe, we were fine. We pretty much, I pretty much, if you if we're on the other side, like that's pretty much the best news there is. Like we made it through, no one got sick. We're all fully vaccinated. We're fine. And it's actually really kind of weird going back out into the world. Like for two straight nights, I had friends who were in town and pandemic aside, I haven't seen these guys in years. And we went out and it was just kind of like, it was amazing and also kind of weird. Just like Mm. seeing people outside and being in a restaurant and actually holding menus and people around it. and the servers were still wearing masks and all but it's just like they didn't take our temperature coming in they just like seated us and we sat down it's like okay well i never thought we'd be this far on the other side this soon so but yeah it's like i've been doing like little things like at home like last year because i was i was here i was like well let's see what do i do now and i thought oh i'll start i'll start my own podcast so i started this podcast called Noel's Book Nook. And it's basically why I just like read chapters from classic public domain stories I don't have to pay for. So I just like read some Beatrix Potter, um, read a chapter from Frankenstein, from The Wizard of Oz, from 
like all kinds of, of, of books. So it's just like, okay, that was fun. So, and now we're getting back into things. So yeah, I'm looking, looking forward to actually being busy again, which is starting to happen. Good. That's, That's really good. It's, I, I'm so pleased that everyone was okay and you got through it all right and that, and that you're fully vaccinated, which is absolutely excellent. Um, you actually answered one of my questions already about the podcast. So, um, yeah, what made you want to do that sort of thing? Was it just because you thought, because you've got an absolutely stunning voice? Oh, uh, oh well, <laughs> come on, no, let, let's yeah. be real here. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's actually, I'm, I'm, well, one of, one of the things that happened last year since I was at home, um, my son, who's 16, going on 42, he said, <laughs> that, uh, Dad, he's like, you should go on TikTok. And I said, what's a TikTok? And after a 30-second, extremely patronizing explanation, he said, yeah, you should use your, your bear puppet. Now, I have this puppet of bear, because bear was a, what's called a full body puppet. I wore him. I was inside him. So this is like a puppet of a puppet that was made for me by a, f- a friend of mine, uh, James Voitall Jr. And he's excellent. In fact, he was one of the builders of Bear. So he made me this sort of, kind of like if Bear got stuck in the dryer and just kind of shrank down a little bit. So it's like a hand puppet version of it. Yeah, and he said, you should use your Bear. I was like, why? It's like, millennials, millennials grew up with Bear. They'd be all over it. <laughs> and I was like, really? So I did this quick little intro with like, me and Bear said, hey, we're on TikTok now. We're gonna have a lot of fun. I was shocked at just like the numbers popping up like every few seconds, like, you know, 50 people, 75, 125, 324, a thousand. It's like, it just kept going on and on. It's like, I couldn't believe it. So what really helped last year was doing these little videos and putting them up because people were isolated, people were home. Um, And so having their like childhood friend, like be there again. In fact, so many uh, kids, uh, lost their high school and you know college graduations formally. So I did this little video where I made a little mortarboard for Bear and a little kind of like graduation outfit and had him, you know, congratulate the the graduates of 2020. And as you travel through life, remember one thing: he sniffs the camera, and said, "You're still smelling really good." And just the outpouring of people, like, "Oh my God!" It's like you started my childhood, and now you're helping me start my adulthood. Thank you. It just went on and on. So one of the things I discovered one day was that. The Royal Shakespeare Company was celebrating uh, the birth of William Shakespeare, which is also by sheer coincidence the day he died. <laughs> so you covered both. And so they had people like from all over the world, celebrities and non-celebrities, just read like little pieces of Shakespeare. So Bear did one where I had him read the last couple of lines from Midsummer Night's Dream, what that Puck says. And so um, I did that. So then that, that made me think like, oh, well, maybe people would like to like hear, you know, bear, like read stories. And so, because he, he and I have voices that sound similar. And so that's why I, uh, I started the podcast. And then like doing the other TikTok stuff's actually been really fun too. It's just like, just incredible how people just like just responded to it. So yes. I don't know if you guys are on the TikTok, but it's, I am. it's worth checking out. <laughs> I, am, yeah. I, I, I think it's great, to be honest. Like people have used it, especially during this pandemic, to just use their creativity so much. It yeah. is 
insane the amount of stuff people have done i i genuinely quite like obviously you get a lot of idiots on there but oh yeah it's you know, like... <laughs> but it, well people that have actually used it for good and have actually like embraced their creativity it's incredible to see oh yeah it's a it, it truly does run the gamut from like like endearing sweet funny poignant to just why did you think this was a good idea yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay Someone should have stopped you. <laughs> Put down the phone. <laughs> Go read a book. It's like, yeah. So it just runs the gamut. Yeah. <laughs> but I like it. It's like, it's, it's really fun. So Good fun. I, yeah, I put, I put stuff up there. So yeah, so it was like, that was the inspiration for like the, the little podcast. It's bear reading Shakespeare. <laughs> but just going back quickly to what you're saying about the book. Did you say they were going to make a Sesame Street movie? Yes. Yes, they're going to make another Sesame Street movie. Yes, that's amazing. And uh, yeah, they're going to do it. I was going to do it conveniently here in New York because I live in New York. It was in right here in my backyard, and it got postponed. So I believe we're going to be doing it maybe next year. I'm not sure oh, yet. That's... So, but it got postponed. So yeah, things are things are starting to come back. But yes, and Sesame Street just wrapped season fifty-two. <sighs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Incredible. Oh yeah. You guys had your own version of Sesame Street. You had the the what was it? The the Dorchester? What was it? The the Furchester. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Furchester. Welcome to the yeah. Furchester. Because with Sesame Street, because I've worked with the, the international team, the co-productions, that's what they're called when they're outside of the US. And so each co-production caters to that particular country and that particular culture. So some of the countries like like India and Mexico and um, Germany, they have like a street set and they have characters designed for, for, for their street set. But other countries and other cultures, that's not thing. Like for instance, there was um, Ireland had Sesame Tree and it took place in a tree. It was more like a magazine show with like inserts that were just like put in. And then for you guys in the UK, the Furchester was designed because you guys like farce and comedy and kind of like a musical kind of sense. And so it was kind of like, you know, like the Muppet Show meets Faulty Towers. And that was the, the Furchester. So I think I did actually describe it once as a kid's version of Faulty Towers. Yeah. yeah, it, it yeah really exactly. is, I had no idea that was made for the UK. I just assumed it was a. No, it was, that was specifically for, for you guys, because it's just like just having a regular Sesame Street. They want, they really do try to make it, unique for each specific uh culture and then That's of course awesome. for each culture they have their own specific uh curriculums like um the sesame uh for japan was and it is always the basic like you know the numbers the alphabet that kind of thing but then for japan it was about empathy and recognizing your feelings and the feelings of others um for india it was about hygiene and clean water and where to find clean water and how to make clean water. And for uh, Palestine, it was about uh, identity, like who you are as a person, in your family, in your community, in your country. And so, and I've had the opportunity to visit like some of these countries and it's just been amazing seeing these people and going to experiencing something like so unique and working with the writers, especially because here in the US, you know, like Jim Henson and Sesame and the Muppet Show, you know, we have, there's this, uh, Yiddish word called shtick. And it's just like, you know, it's a form of humor. And so, you know, I grew up with shtick, 
but not every country did. So sometimes you have to tell them like it has to be funny first, and then you can always stick in a lesson there. But for some of them, it's just like it was really like kind of like you really have to alter your mindset because it's for kids and it's supposed to be funny because <laughs> it's puppets <laughs> and puppets can do things people can't do. So, so it takes some people get it, some people don't, but in the end it somehow all works out. So it, it, must, that. it must be so difficult sometimes to write for children like shows, especially this day and age now where the culture has changed so much now. It's almost like you're like, Oh, well that was patronizing. Oh, but you said, you know, and I don't know. I don't know. I try to explain myself, but um, I think back in the back in the nineties, you could pretty much just be like write anything, teach anything. But now it's like you have to be so careful with what you say, what you do, you know, without patronizing people. You got to aim it at that direct age group rather than broader. Well, it's like yeah. I mean, with, with Sesame Street, it was always like um, you know, it's like it's for kids. So no matter what you're trying to teach, you're entertaining children first. Yeah, and that Sesame Street's a have, a safe haven. It's you know. Like you can go, you can watch, it's fine. It was interesting when um, I was in um, uh, Palestine and they were re-gearing up their Sesame Street and they brought in new writers. And there was this uh, one young guy and through the translator, we were talking back and forth. And so I explained to them like the rules of like, you know, writing for Sesame and just like, you know, first, it's funny. Second rule, it's funny. Third rule, it's funny. And I showed them, I showed them examples of all that. And so I gave him an assignment like, okay, now, tomorrow, come in and pitch an idea. And who knows, we might even use it on, you know, your, your, your sesame. And so this one young guy came in the next day and pitched this idea for, for their um, Palestinian Sesame Street. So one side, it's a split screen. One side, there's this, there's the Sesame Street Palestinian puppet who answers the phone. And on the other side is the puppet, their friend, who is in the Gaza Strip. And the Sesame puppet called his friend in the Gaza Strip because he was concerned and worried about him. And it's hard for the Gaza Strip Muppet to hear the Sesame Muppet because of all the bombing and the gunfire in the background. Oh, wait. So then the Sesame puppet wants to help their friend feel better. So writes, writes a little note and like ties it to a, a, a dove and like, Let's it fly out of frame. A second later, you hear gunshot. And on the Gaza side, you're supposed to see feathers floating down onto the head of the Palestinian Muppet. What the hell? <laughs> and through the interpreter, I said, a world of no. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I understand what you're doing. I appreciate what you're doing but this is not the way to do it. And so I said, but it's still an interesting idea. So I posed it to everybody else like, okay, how could we make this idea work for, Ses for Sesame Street? And so after working it through, it worked it out. And they eventually actually did use it for, for the show where the two Muppets see their human friend who's very sad. And the human friend says, I haven't heard from my friend who's in the Gaza Strip and I'm worried. So the two Muppets decide, okay, we're gonna help him feel better. And so they try and think of comical things to do. Like they dress up as clowns. They try to do balloon animals, which keep flying out of their fingers. Um, and it's basically physical stuff that puppets can do because having a puppet just stand and talk is like just boring. So it was like funny puppet shtick. 
And so the friend smiles and says, thank you. I really appreciate what you're trying to do. And in fact, you gave me an idea. So they take one of the balloons that they were trying to make an animal of and they blow it up. They draw a picture of all three of them. They tie it to the balloon and then they fly. And you see it fly over the wall of their sesame towards the area where the direction the Gaza Strip would be. And the, the friend feels better. And through the interpreter, the uh, young writer says, but you watered it down. And through the interpreter, I said, you're damn right I watered it down. It's <laughs> Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, he did not last. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't for his show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Just, just... <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and other things like um, when they were revamping, redoing their, the Sesame Street in India, um, they have a... A street segment, then they have a segment with Elmo and, a, and a, a last segment with Grover. And it's all puppeteers, Indian puppeteers, so they're, they're speaking Hindi. They're actually, you don't have to dub it, they're actually creating their own content and, and they're dubbing it. And Grover and his uh, little monkey friend are in the real world having adventures. And so they were really, really concerned about how to get Grover right. It was like so focused, like how do we get Grover right? <laughs> And so I uh, emailed Eric Jacobson, who's Grover now, and asked his advice. And he gave him the piece of advice that Grover is never wrong. He will never admit he can't do something. Even if it's a complete failure, he will go at it full steam because he's trying. And he never uses contractions. He's very formal. It's very like precise. He's all about the rules, all about how things done. And it's like, even if it fails, it's like he followed the rules because he's very formal and punctual. And all the writers were like, oh, he's Punjabi. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess for them, there's like, there's a sort of person who's just sort of very like, and I get very like, just like follow the rules and just like, so, but that, that, that's how they got it. That's how they were able to, to do it. So it's very interesting, like working with the, working with the different cultures and the different co-productions. And it's been so rewarding. Plus I get great free travel. So, well, back in the day, not, oh. right. Now with Zoom calls, it's like, uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, well, it was good while it lasted. I'm sure it'll come back. I'm sure we'll be able to travel again. I'm sure, you know, there might not be any sort of the way it was, but it'd be some sort of normal, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, even before the pandemic, it was just like, you know, budgetary cuts so i remember like talking to a, a team you know i was in the office in new york and they were in their office and um i, th I think it was india again i was just like catching up with them but it was like a zoom call so it was like okay so but hopefully get to travel again so because yeah, they're, they're always coming up with co-productions somehow doesn't matter right i wanted to go back to your start so from what i gathered from my research you're Got your career started with PBS working with Frank Oz and Jim Henson. Yes. But how did you get to the, that point working with these greats? Oh, yeah. Greats uh, is a bloody understatement. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, yeah, I worked with, you know, Kermit and Piggy and, you know, Yoda. Yeah. And Yoda, yeah. <laughs> and Ernie. Yeah. So uh, well, when I was a kid, there were much more TV shows on the head puppets here in the United States. There was uh, Sherry Lewis, and Lamb Chop. There was a show called Captain Kangaroo. We had uh, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And 
there was a ventriloquist named Paul Winchell, who later went on to become the voice of Tigger, the original voice of Tigger for the Disney movies. And also, Paul Winchell helped invent the artificial heart. So, oh! you can save lives. Yes. <laughs> Google it, kids. And uh, so he Tigger created the artificial heart. Yes. Yes. That's here. amazing. Wow, yeah. that is incredible. So, yeah. So then, and so when I was like about, know, like six or seven years old, um, on a Sunday night, there was this half hour show on our local PBS station. And they were talking about this brand new show that was coming on the next morning. And it was called Sesame Street. And it was hosted, this show was hosted by two Muppets who I'd never seen that type of puppet before because puppets were usually like made of wood or a sock, like lamb chop. But these were like soft looking, but their mouths opened and closed when they talked. And one had the shape of a football and the other one was kind of like a banana. And their names were Ernie and Bert. And they showed scenes from Sesame Street. And when I saw Big Bird, I was like floored because this was a puppet that actually walk around mm. and talk. So then during the height of the Muppet show, uh, that's when I was in high school, and I started thinking what I wanted to do for a living. And I thought, well, this guy Jim Henson's making a living from this and all these people around him are making a living. Maybe I could be a puppeteer. So I did research the old fashioned way. I went to the library. <laughs> it's, it's like a bookstore, but it's free. And <laughs> I went through all the research. And at that time there were two schools that I found one was in the University of Connecticut in Storrs, Connecticut, which to this day, you can take a four-year puppetry program and get your master's degree in puppetry if you want to. And the other one I looked into was here in New York in Brooklyn, and it's called Pratt Institute. And I realized the word Pratt means something different over there, but this <laughs> happened to be named after a guy whose last name was Pratt. So, <laughs> And within Pratt, they had a theater department, and within the theater department, they had a puppetry course. And so I had all the information laid out. Now I was going to present this to my mom. Now my mom was a single mom. My uh, dad, her husband walked out on us when I was 18 months old and ran away with a woman he was dating and uh, never told her about us. And uh, so she was taking care of me. She was taking care of her mom and her uncle we all lived in the, the same apartment. And she was holding out two jobs to send me to private school because I grew up in central Harlem. So at that time, the choices of uh, high school was the school where the kid got shot or the school where the kid got stabbed. So she sent me downtown to a school called Rhodes Prep School. And so single mom holding down two jobs, sending the kid to private school who says, I know what I want to be, a puppeteer. And I just <laughs> brace myself, <laughs> just like, okay. And she looked at me and she said, okay, what do we have to do? Oh, that's oh, amazing. Oh, uh, uh, and that just uh, threw me off. Like, oh, uh, well, there's this school, and there's this school. And she said, okay, what do we have to do? Well, this school needs this by then, this school needs this by then. Okay, what do we have to do? That's all she kept saying, guys, over and over. What do we have to do? Cause she said, cause she was a private secretary. And she says, I've been typing the same letter for the past 20 years. So you can always get a job, Noel, get a career. And I was like, that's what, that's what it is. And she said, and for some reason, you want to be a lumberjack tomorrow? We'll figure out how to do that. So, <laughs> so I lucked out by having somebody just so supportive of me right from the get-go. So I ended up, in case you're wondering, I ended up going to Pratt and becoming a theater major 
and taking a puppetry course, which was taught by sheer coincidence, one of the designers and builders for the Muppets. In fact, he designed and built Big Bird and Snuffy. And his name oh, was wow. Kermit Love. And no, the frog was not named after him. It's just <laughs> one of freaky coincidences that <laughs> destiny likes to play with you. And so I ended up going to his classes and then working uh, summer part-time at his workshop, refeathering Big Bird during the summer with no air conditioning. So that was oh. fun. And, uh, and then his assistant, just before I graduated, his assistant on Sesame Street quit and he offered me the job to be his assistant on Sesame Street. So I just like snapped it up. And so I just learned like television production being what's called the wrangler, the person who takes care of the puppets and makes sure that they're camera ready and everything is all set up for the puppeteers. And so I got to sit in on like production meetings and go over the scripts and see the setup. So I really had this great education in television puppetry before I started actually puppeteering for the show. And that's where I met Jim and that's where I met Frank as well as Jerry Nelson and Richard Hunt and Fran Brill and my mentor, Carol Spinney, who was a big bird and also Oscar. So, and then the rest is history. I just kept like doing the eighties was, uh, was great because it was also like a lot of commercials that had puppets in it that Kermit was involved in and then um, other commercials with puppets and yeah just like kept going from there but that's how it started it started off with my mom just saying you can always get a job get a career she's awesome. like an absolute hero she, she she was she she was great she she was so proud of me and she would be even be more proud of my my son because he's um, a vocal major at a performing arts high school Oh. And he's like a tall, handsome young man that uh, she, she went pretty much. We, we, my wife and I could not have brought home a, a girl because she just kept say, just saying, you know, my grandson, it's going to be a boy. I know it's going to be a boy. <laughs> my grandson. I know. Of course, it's like, <laughs> I know. Absolutely. And she also would be still proud of my wife, who is uh, Susan Elia McNeil, the author of the Maggie Hope Mysteries, available on Amazon UK and your independent <laughs> bookseller with book number 10, The Hollywood Spy, coming July 6th. <laughs> <laughs> now she can move away from the corner of the room with the gun. Thank you. <laughs> Love you too. Okay. So, <laughs> I've so, got the infomercial parts and down to an art form now. But... <laughs> so, what was the first project you worked on? Can you remember? Um, well, the, the first thing I, first thing I did was um, when I started puppeteering on on uh, Sesame was I actually did. Um, the first Sesame Street movie, which was called Follow That Bird. And so, which is a great movie and it still holds up. And I'm the character that kind of starts, sets the story off. It's uh, Madame Chairbird of the Feathered Friends Society, this do-gooder society that believes that birds need to be with their own kind, proper bird family. So, so I get like the, the character that starts it off. And then I was also um, wrangling and like doubling for Carol. But my first character that I actually like created or starred for was a show here in the States it was on Nickelodeon. It was called Eureka's Castle. And I don't know if you have Paramount Plus over there now, but we don't know. We don't. Ah, shoot. Because um, now they're actually rerunning those episodes of Eureka's Castle, which we did back in like 1989 and, and 90. And it took place in this um, castle that was actually a music box for a giant. And my character was Magellan, who was like a, a three-year-old dragon but he was like the size of Big Bird because he's a dragon. And so that was like my first like 
starring role that I got to do. And I, because he was pretty much similar to Big Bird, I just applied everything that Carol ever taught me because I would do Big Bird for the parades and for photo shoots and also uh, scenes in the background if Big Bird and Oscar had to be in the same scene at the same time. Actually, there's this great song on um, YouTube and it's Big Bird's grandmother singing to Big Bird. So Carol did the voice of Granny Bird and recorded the song, but I'm lip syncing to it in another bird. So that was really, that was really special. So. That's awesome. It's incredible just being able to be, like, be in characters. I don't know if I love it, but I think it's fantastic. Sorry, I'm getting blown <laughs> away by these stories. It's like, yeah. tell me more, Noel. Tell me more. Sorry. Tell me, tell me more. It's like, yeah, it's just like, it's like all these, like, I'm, I'm really proud of like how my career like has taken me in all these directions. In fact, last, last time I was in the UK was in uh, 2018 when the, I got to be with the Muppets. I mean, we did the Muppets take the O2, which was- Oh, like, I wanted to go to that so bad. A fun, a fun adventure, which was just amazing. And just like, and because we did the Hollywood Bowl, which is really nice and it sold out, but the Hollywood Bowl is not the same size as the O2. And so we walked in as I was still like setting up the set that day and we're just looking around like it's like it's like this is really big like are we gonna fill this place up and we were shocked that we did in fact the saturday we did a friday night show saturday matinee and a saturday night uh show and we were shocked that the saturday matinee show just completely sold out to the point where they had to like open up the seating at the very top because it just sold out it was unbelievable and there's a this part at the end, which you can see on YouTube, where um, the Muppets and the guest stars are singing um, Rainbow Connection together. And then everybody just like takes their phones and like puts on like, you know, like a light and just or like a, a candle and just hold it up. So you just look out from where we were on the stage and you just see these like this sea of like stars just twinkling oh. through all these hundreds and hundreds of people. It was so emotional. Then what was great after that, after we did the show, we all like split off to like all points of Europe. <laughs> so it was like, great. Like we worked for a little while. Then we just went off and played. So my wife uh, uh, and my son and I, we went, we went up to Scotland to Erisag, to Erisag house. Because thanks to the magic of Facebook and Ancestry.com, I found out that MacNeil is not a slave name. It's an actual legit Scottish name because... James McNeil emigrated from Scotland in the 19th century, ended up somehow in Virginia, met a woman named Parthenia, married her. One of the kids was James Jr., who then ended up in New Orleans, met, met a Creole woman named Pelomina, and started their family, and it's like went on from there. But it's like I'm pretty proud that like I'm actually like part Scottish. So I was like. That was cool. So I figured, <laughs> I figured this is the first time a MacNeil's actually set foot back <laughs> in Scotland. <laughs> Incredible! That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was good. So it was like it was, and and I love Scotland. We we all did. My, my wife had been there before, but she had done research for one of her her books that actually takes place uh, in Erisake. Because Erisake House was used as a training ground for SOE agents, and so her character Maggie Hope is uh, one of the instructors at the SOE um, campgrounds there. And so she said, it's a beautiful house. And so 
we went up to uh, Erisig and, and, and stayed there and it was just like gorgeous. It's just, I just want to go back to Scotland like so badly. So, I feel that. Unbelievable. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. absolutely feel that. Right. We, we stayed overnight in Glasgow and then she said, next time we go, we have to go to Edinburgh. We got to go to Edinburgh. <laughs> You've like, not been to Edinburgh yet? Eh, what? Have you not been to Edinburgh yet? <laughs> no, not yet. No, no. Oh. Not yet. She, she has. She has. She said. She she told me because I'm like such a, a Disney geek. She said, "You'll love it. It's like the Scottish Disneyland. It's like they have a main street. There's a castle at the end of it. Yeah, you can ride a trolley. Yeah, <laughs> you can go to the Guinness factory and there's a tour. You can. It's like it's like the haunted mansion, but with alcohol. You'll love it. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a beautiful city. It's so yeah. historic, and there's just so yeah. much to see and do there. It's beautiful. I love it. I can't wait to go back. I know we can. We're just like. We're, we're hoping maybe we're hoping maybe like next summer it's like things will be like pulled together like so we can like go back so it's like fingers crossed kids come on come on yes i've just clicked on while we're talking here because you're just saying your first job you know you were working with carol and on, on sesame street and you're still working on sesame street now. so basically since you started you've worked on sesame street your entire That's, yeah i started i started sesame in the fall of 1982 so I've been like off and on with Sesame Street. In fact, I just this past um, winter, I uh, not only puppeteered, but I got to direct three inserts um, uh, for, for the YouTube channel on, because um, Sesame has a, a YouTube channel. And so I directed, and then because of the restrictions of COVID in the little studio, they asked, Noel, would you mind puppeteering too? I was like, sure, double duty. Double paycheck, sure, I'll do that. So I got to direct and also to puppeteer. So you go to YouTube and it's like Sesame Wheels on the Bus. And there's like three segments, one with uh, on a farm, on a bus, and another with uh, a fire truck. And it was like, it was really fun. It was really cool. So it was, yeah, I'm on like off and on with, with Sesame. Does that That's mean amazing. that you like shouted at yourself if you got it, if you messed up? <laughs> 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 Not again, no, not again. Oh, no, it's like I have to slap myself. It's like, actually, it's like it's like it's like the very first time I directed myself was actually uh, I got to direct an episode of Bear, and so they had to deliberately write it so that Bear wasn't in all the scenes because the show Bear was in like ninety nine point nine percent of the scenes. So for this one, it's called Vol- Volunteers of Woodland Valley, and Bear's going to go off and volunteer in the community. But then he hurts his foot. So then all the other characters, Pip and Pop and Tutter and Trilo, they have to go and take his place. So Bear's back at the house. So then with him kind of incapacitated, then I can actually free up and actually direct the other characters who are in the library and also at the, the fire station. But then it was like, you know, doing scenes as Bear, like with all the characters, like, yeah, Bear, that's great. Yay, yes, it is. Ha, 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 ha. And then Bear would just look at the camera and say, and cut. <laughs> I just got this image of you just ripping the head off. I'm just going, no, no Pop, no. <laughs> Actually, I don't know who did it. Was like, it was like in the local paper here, like Daily News, like during the height of it in the late 90s. But somebody like uh, uh, drew this like political cartoon, and it was like the outside of the house with these like um, set camera lights on it. And there's a bear outside the house holding a script. And it's like, and in one hand, and in the other hand, another paw is like Bear's head, 
but inside, instead of being a person like me, it's another bear. <laughs> like pulled off this costume bear. And he's kind of like looking kind of skeptically at the script, like what he has to read now. <laughs> so <laughs> it was really funny. I have it somewhere, just like a copy of it somewhere, but it was like really funny. So it's like, okay. <laughs> Oh, there's going to be a bit on Saturday Night Live at some point. So, <laughs> <laughs> I also I read that um, you did the face puppetry for Raphael in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which is one of my favorite films ever as a kid and now. Because like, I generally, when I read it, I thought, "Oh my god, you actually were Raphael!" But no, I just said apparently it was all the. Fa- so how does that work then? Because if, if you're not in the character itself, how are you maneuvering the face? It takes- it takes about, well, for like for the turtle movie, especially for the third one I worked on, it takes five people to do one turtle. So there's the actor yeah. inside who is Matt Hill. And then there's the puppeteer for the face. That was me. Then there's the martial artist who does all the fighting. Yeah. Then because they were riding horses and falling off. There was the stunt double. Oh, and then goodness. once all the principal photography is done, they take it back to Hollywood. And a guy sits in the chair at a booth and records his voice over my voice. So it's like five people to do this one character. <laughs> and the magic of editing to make it look seamless. But yeah, I, I worked with, um, with Matt, and, uh, who's great. He's a, vo- he's a voiceover artist too, he lives in Canada. And uh, we were at great chemistry. And so we, we could hear each other. I could hear him because he had a microphone inside and, I could, and he could hear me uh, telling him like, you know, in case he was getting like, too near an edge or there's a pole coming up it's like Matt stop (laughs) (laughs) I've only ever heard nightmare stories of those turtle suits oh they're they're horrifying it's like they're 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 rubber and inside you know Matt could basically just hear the gears and just (laughs) doing the mouth and like clang 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 so it's just like it was just like you really had to like they had to rehearse it. And then when they were absolutely ready, that's when you put the heads on. And then we would do the scene. And then if it's possible, like just do it one more time and then just pop it off because it was just so, it's like, you really can't breathe in there. And so you would come out and be like sweating, but he was such a trooper. And there's the, the great scene with um, Raphael talking to the, the little kid, Yoshi, yeah, and um, in, inside the hut. And we did that like, uh, a couple of times because uh, Matt and I really wanted to to get it right, especially with like the close up stuff and like really having because I had to like program this 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 device that was basically it's like a glorified oven mitt that has wires coming out to make the mouth open and close, and then there's this other little toggle, and I pre programmed so that if I turned like the oven mitt to the left, then his mouth could kind of like go up halfway or the other way. If I pull back, he could like smile. If I pull forward, he could frown and just like all these little things. So I really wanted to get like the, the articulation right, especially for, cause it was so close up when he's like, yeah. don't worry kid, nobody's going to die. It's just like, it's really got to look like his lips are actually articulating it. So, but it was fun. And we shot it in Astoria, Oregon, which is like the very topmost North corner of the state of Oregon. And apparently the mountains of Oregon kind of look like feudal Japan. So it worked out. So. I was going to say, you mean that wasn't really filmed in like ancient Japan? Disappointed. <laughs> no, filmed not on location in ancient Japan. 
we had a limited budget, so we really couldn't time travel. So <laughs> I saw a picture on social media recently of one of those old turtle suits now, like after it's been worn away. It is a stuff of nightmares. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just like, yeah, because it's rubber and rubber rocks. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, yeah, it's this is horrifying. Like, these like glass eyes and like these teeth <laughs> exposed. It's just like chunks of the rubber flesh have flaked off and fallen off. It's, it's a horror it's movie. Horrifying. It really is. <laughs> Yeah, it is. So, obviously, being a puppeteer, there's there's times where you you've operated puppets for bigger, like well-known characters. For example, I've seen you operate Rabbit in the Book of Pooh. You mentioned Big Bird before, and um, Statler from Statler and Waldorf. I saw you did that on Jimmy Fallon, was it? Oh no, uh, Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live. Sorry, yeah, we did that. that is there like, is there like a certain pressure to operating these characters? Because all these characters have got their own mannerisms that people recognise and stuff like that. Is there like a pressure to get in that right? So well, people... it's, well, it's like because of uh, especially like TV or then film puppetry. It's like it's not like theatrical puppetry where you're allowed to be a little more broad and play to the cheap seats because TV and the film is so intimate. You really have to be very precise with your movement and controlled so that you're making sure that this little magic trick works so that. The characters are imitating, you know, human life because that, that's a trick. It's like if you see a character, you know, like Kermit standing and talking and, you know, kind of grimacing his face because he's a little sad or like laughing. It's like it's something that you can relate to because, you know, you talk, you laugh, you grimace from time to time. But if it's really floppy and flappy, there's no connection to it. It's just a doll. This is flopping around. But to really make it look like it's it's alive to make you believe that this character is actually going through this situation and emotionally making you feel for them that's the, the secret of it so we're like for me with bear i would always for myself keep it fresh because bear, bear was the ultimate caretaker he like he never lost his patience he always had time he was like the ultimate parent babysitter like guardian it's like he was like perfect and so to keep it fresh, I would always, we always like from the beginning of each show, Bear would open the door. So I would have this mindset inside that as soon as I open the door and look at the camera, like that's a kid who has never seen this show before. He has no idea who this character is. She has no comprehension of what's going on. So that's the kid at home that I'm playing to. And inside I'm like smiling. It's like, saying the lines, smiling. Because you can just like, you can kind of hear the difference when you say something and then when you smile and say something, there's a difference to it. So it's just mm. like keeping it up. But then of course, you know, Bear could be a little cheeky sometimes. Like somebody commented on how Bear would often like just do like a little slow burn the camera when like, you know, walking in and pip and pop have pretty much caused chaos. and. They're trying to explain and bear kind of very slowly kind of look at the camera to that parent at home and kind of like <laughs> narrow the eyes with that sort of like simpatico, like, you know what I'm going through, right? <laughs> turn back to the otters and deal with that. But he would always have that connection with the parents at home. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was like with bear, I was just like that little mindset. And then, of course, when he was uh, out in the real world, when he was on like the game show Hollywood Squares, he could be a little more cheeky. So he could, because that was also what was nice about Bear was he was a grown up. So many 
puppet characters are kids or very young in age. Bear was a grown up. So he could get away with saying like a couple of little things like, you know, like on Hollywood Square. Again, you can watch it on YouTube. Um, the MC Tom Bergeron was like, Bear, rats could do this longer than camels. Do what? And Bear said, stay in law school. So like, you know, things like that. So it's like, and just like, you know, and I would, and that was great with Hollywood Squares, they would give you the questions. And like the first two times, um, there's like three rounds. The first two rounds, you have time to make a joke and all that. So I would come up with these jokes. Then the third time they would ask you, just please just like answer the question. And if you know the answer, that's fine. But if you want to bluff, go right ahead. So they didn't tell you to bluff, but if they said, if you wanted to bluff, oh, you don't know the answer, bluff with conviction. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes it's like, sometimes I knew the answer, sometimes I didn't know the answer, but I bluffed with conviction. <laughs> <laughs> so you were a script writer for Bear in the Big Blue House as well. Yeah. Um, and also the, mag uh, the Magic School Bus as well, yeah. as I read, which I used to absolutely love that as a kid as well. Yeah, no, you've done everything. So many things, so many pies. <laughs> I'm I'm proud to say my resume is most people's childhood memory. So it's like if you were allowed to watch way too much television as a child, you probably saw yeah. something I was involved in. <laughs> so, so yeah, so with the Magic School Bus, that was um, for writing for animation, and it was really interesting because you know with with a script, it's like you know like for bear, like like door opens. Like Bear greets the viewer. It's like, hi, like, come on in. Bear turns inside, he stops, he goes. So it's like, it's pretty like broad in general. But with animation, you have to write everything. It's like, you know, like fade in, like wide shot, the school, like push in towards the school, dissolve to classroom, overhead shot of like, cut to, and you have to put, you have to put in all of it so that the animators could just look at it and then just do exactly what you've written, which was really like new for me. So it was like, there was no interpretation. Like, like that's why I wanted to look and that's how they did it. So I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. So, and the other thing was with the school bus, they would have the science team come in and they would, we would do experiments with them about that particular topic or they would show us demonstrations with that topic. So that was, that was fun too, because they wanted to instill in us the excitement of like, you know, a kid discovering this for the first time. So then we could, then write it in, the, in that same kind of uh, spirit. So it was fun. So I wrote two. I wrote uh, about the life cycle of stars and then one about uh, animals that have um, ended up living in the city, like wild animals. So that was cool. so cool. So obviously puppetry was your first step, but do you ever think you get to like script writing or directing or you know, anything like yeah. that at all? Script writing started with uh, Eureka's Castle because the first season that we did it, the, the head writer really didn't get puppet humor all that much. It was, <laughs> and so we would start to like, you know, suggest things at the read through, or we could say this, or we could do this. Then we realized like, sometimes they just wouldn't get it. So that's when the puppeteers and I decided, you know what, we're not gonna suggest it. We're just going to do it on camera. So we sometimes we even rehearse it as scripted, but then once the camera was rolling, then we would just do our own thing. <laughs> <laughs> which was so much better <laughs> and don't feel sorry for the the head writer the head writer was his, his screen credit was jovial bob stein well 
jovial is actually this guy named R.L. Stein. And I hear he's written a whole bunch of books called Goosebumps and Fear Street. So he's fine. <laughs> so. <laughs> Holy shit. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But then, yeah, but then for the second season, that's when I asked, can I just write for the show? And I, they let me do it. So I wrote for them. And then the same thing happened with another show I wrote for, um, another show I puppeteered on for PBS was called The Puzzle Place. And I wrote for that show as well. So, so by the time we did Bear, by the second season, it was like, can I write? <laughs> I get a sense of this now. Can I write this show? <laughs> you know what, guys? I'll just do it all. Yeah. Just do all of it. I, don't need, I don't need any of you guys. I'll just do it myself. <laughs> well, what was great was like in the beginning, like with, with Bear, when he would do his like, you know, we're going to talk about like communication. We would talk about, you know, like whatever the, the theme was. And then he would do his dance. Basically, they left it up to me. Like the director would say, okay, no, what are you thinking? It's like, well, you know, we could start here and then I could go to the kitchen and come back to the foyer. Like and we could end up here. And they were like, okay. So I, could, I pretty much made up my own choreography. And then they just like followed me along per my suggestion, like we can start here and all that. So yeah, and then that's when by the fourth season, I asked like, can I direct an episode? So, and they actually said yes. So it, was, it actually worked out. Can so, I just so. buy all the rights to this show? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's so, it's so frustrating because people keep asking me, it's like, no, you should... Put Bear on Disney Plus. Like, no, when is Bear going to be on Disney Plus? Like, folks, if I had any control over this, it never would have left. So please, stop asking me. I am not the man with the power. <laughs> like, yeah. Contact Disney Plus. You know who's a big fan of Bear once upon a time? Bob Iger. Like, contact him. Maybe he has some pull still. <laughs> I was going to say, he probably has some pull. Yeah, yeah exactly. Get him to put it on. <laughs> I'll just cross that question out then, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we probably should talk a, a, like, a bit more detail about bear so how did this show come about like did, did you have to audition for it or would did they approach you about it yeah that's like i had to audition for it actually it came about because um there was a deal that jim did with the walt disney company and then unfortunately jim died so to try and salvage the deal, it was decided that the Jim Henson Company would come up with like three things for the Walt Disney Company. So the first project they did for the Walt Disney Company, they decided a primetime series with puppets. And that was the series Dinosaurs. Oh, and, yes. Yes, and that was it. The second one, a couple of years later, was called Alien in the Family. And... It was yeah. It's like it's like them. yeah. It was like a human parent and an alien parent, and it's like the you know the mixing kind of like the Brady Bunch meets Alf kind of thing, like oh. mixing, mixing it together. So then the last obligation was another show, but instead of doing it for primetime, they thought let's do something for the new like extension of the Disney Channel called Playhouse Disney or Disney Playhouse. They still hadn't decided the name. And so they hired Mitchell Kriegman and who came in and pretty much like looked through the files. Like, is there anything that like from these old files that never got developed really? And there was this thing about like a house and like a bear. And so he just took that and just like went off with it and just like developed the show. And originally the house was supposed to, in this idea, the house was kind of alive, but he just 
decided to just have more puppet characters. And so I actually went in and auditioned for another show that morning. And then I came back home. And then just before, like a little after four o'clock, that's when I got a phone call. And they said, no, could you come back? There's this other character we'd like you to audition for. And so I was like, sure, I'll do it. And so they uh, faxed, that's right, kids, faxed me the sides <laughs> and <the> illustrations. <laughs> this was 1997, so they faxed me. And in the cab, I'm looking, going like, oh, well, this looks cute. This is the sketch of this bear and these little critters around him and the moon that has this face behind him. I was like, oh, okay. And I look at it. And then I uh, walk in. And the executive at the time, Peter Van Roden, said, use your own voice. And I was like, what? It's like, use your own voice. It's like, it's like but, but we're the Muppets. We, we don't do that. And so, but basically, he was explaining to me that they wanted Bear to kind of not be like Barney because there was already this big, huge character with kind of a voice like this. It's like they didn't want that. And pretty much all through the day, people who would come in were doing these kind of like, hi there, I'm a bear. Like, Welcome to the big, they were doing all these kind of like goofy voices. So then Peter just said, use your own voice. I was like, oh, okay. And so at that time, before I, I was married and had a kid, I, I would call it my Uncle Noel mode. So that whenever I visited a friend who had kids, I would just pretty much have this mode of like, okay, what do you want to do? You call the shots, your rules of the game. What are we doing? How are we having fun? And just like, that was my, Uncle Noel mode inside. And I got into the prototype, which was didn't have fur, but it had like, it still had the understructure and it's like the foam head of bear, but nothing was covered in, um, in fur. And it felt really nice. I was like, wow, this would really be cool to do. And then I realized, you know what, Noel, it's, it's quarter to five. It's like, you're the last one here. They already picked out who they want. They just want to make sure. So it's like, eh, it's like, screw it. I'm just going to have fun. And so that's when I just didn't care. And that's when I just had fun. And just like one part of the script said, he smells something and realizes it's the person at home. So that's when I like ran around sniffing and then looked at the camera and then just jammed the nose all the way in and pulled it all the way out. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like holding up a glass of water and like holding it up so that you could see Bear's eyes like through the reflection. Cause I was just having fun. It's like, okay, thanks, goodbye. And I went off for the weekend, and then that Monday, just before six o'clock, I got the call. They said, "No, we'd like you to be there." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and yeah, and then that's how it started. But it started because at the audition, I didn't care, <laughs> which is pretty much advice I tell my son too when he auditions for things at school. It's like, remember, go have fun, and then don't care. <laughs> just let it go. Just forget about it. <laughs> Probably the best thing, though, because you're not full of nerves. You're just being yourself and having fun. It's a kid show. You know, you want yeah. to be relaxed and having fun while you're doing it, really. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's just like, yeah, there was like, you know, like, you know, just like just reminding each other, like, you know, it's a puppet show. Like, let's let's all relax here. Let's like, it's like let's not take ourselves too serious. I think Barry even said that one time. It's like, it's like, keep in mind, you know. You're talking to a seven foot bear who's telling you you really need to relax <laughs> if this is a day we're having maybe we should all take a five <laughs> and i think we did actually <laughs> so my favorite thing about bear like you sort of hinted at it then with the nose sniffing and stuff like that, is the mannerisms you know it's the way he moved was just delightful. And he put a huge smile back. Like, my mom once described bear as paul stanley from kiss in a bear suit 
like the way he moves, <laughs> the shaking of the bum. Just it was. <laughs> was this something they said to you? Like we wanted to behave like? Is was this just all you? It was like well, first of all, the the people who built Bear, they are artists. The the puppet makers of the Jim Henson Company, the Jim Henson Workshop here in New York, they are true artists. And so, every and at the time, I lived on the Upper East Side, and the workshop was also on the Upper East Side. So every now and then, I would get a call that say, "No, do, do you have any time uh, this week, later this week, to come in and try fitting?" And I said, "I'll be there in twenty minutes," <laughs> because I just realized like he and I are going to have this very close relationship. Let's make this as comfortable as possible and so i would go in and just like just like try it on and then like do these little moves because he was supposed to be very light on his feet because he like danced and all that and so that i could just discover like what he could do and then you know bear always had a way of telling me sometimes don't do that (laughs) (laughs) that little twinge you're feeling right now yeah don't do that again (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah so it's just like we've found like the little middle ground but yeah just like just like the way he would just move was just like great because he was very light on his his feet so yeah just coming up with that and so i would have to so then when they would start doing live shows like at the disney parks and also the touring shows i would go and i would train the guys um and just tell them like how bear would like stand how he would um sit like for instance bear always like like would always crouch down on his haunches because I actually had a saddle inside so I could actually sit down because I remember the first time like for, for one very early show first season like bear like got down on his knees and suddenly it looked like a guy in a bear suit it didn't look it didn't look real anymore because it looked like I was like on my knees but the fact that I could then I figured out I could squat down and it's like oh this is much better so it just kept that illusion going but just those like like, you know, little rules that you have to do when you're a guy in a bear suit. So. <laughs> I love that, though, because little kids are probably not going to notice that. But you've noticed no. it and you've gone, no, that ruins the illusion. Some kid might no. notice that. The illusion's gone, nope, 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 fix this. No. I, I love that. Yeah, yeah. it's like, that was, that was great, the illusion of bear, because my wife loved the fact that you know, I would do these appearances and all these kids were there and like these massive crowds. But then once bear left, I could get out and get dressed walk out, walk by the same families, the same crowd, and nobody would have any idea who I was. So she said she liked the sort of like the Superman syndrome, where it's just like, you have no idea. But, Unless she spoke. Well, well, no, here it's fine, because it's like out of sight, out of mind. But one time when I was in the UK doing appearances, I talked to this little girl afterwards, and she said, you sound like Bear. <laughs> I was like, right, because he has an accent, and... It's the same accent. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> oh, no, 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 you've got to talk. No, oh, oh. <laughs> no you're wrong, Lassie. No, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm not, I'm not no, actually sorry no. at all. Oh. <laughs> the, yeah, the surname is MacNeil. The accent's real. <laughs> yeah. Here's a pound. Go get some candy floss. Thank you. <laughs> You, you mentioned that though. I was going to ask about like, you saying you're doing expos and conventions and stuff like that. I was yeah. wondering how often do you get asked to sing the songs, especially like Goodbye Moon and whatnot. Yeah, it's like actually I'm also on a on a cameo, so I fulfill requests for people sometimes as myself, but mostly as Bear for uh, for, for for different like congratulations or words of encouragement or birthday or Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas. 
And I got a request like today, it's like for a, a mom who grew up with bear and for her two-year-old, it's like, could you like sniff? She smells like strawberries. And could you sing part of uh, Under My Blanket because she loves that song. And I'm looking at my phone going like, Under My, Under Your Blanket? Like, did I sing that? Because <laughs> we did like 114 shows. Like, what song is that? <laughs> So I literally have to go on YouTube and I'm looking it up and I'm seeing myself and I'm seeing like, yeah, that's me. That's, that sounds like me. Like, no clue. <laughs> Just gone. Because we did so many shows and so many songs. Like, I was like, wow. And then I was listening to it. It's like, okay, it's kind of coming back. But at the first glance, it was like, I have no idea what this woman's talking about. <laughs> I, I was going to ask if you remember like the words to the songs. But well, sadly, you can't remember half the songs. I learned the no, words no. to and, and And people will say like a certain scene or something of dialogue. And it's like, I have no clue. I called it garbage memory because I couldn't, I, um, normally with, with um, puppets, like, like with Tutter and, and Pip and Pop with, you know, Peter Lentz and Tyler Bunch and Vicki Eibner and Jim Krupa, they could take their scripts and they could tape it up to the side of the monitor. And so what you saw at home, it, that's what we see. That's how we puppeteer. But I didn't have that luxury of taping stuff up inside Bear. There was no room. So I had to memorize everything. So I had like little script like shrunk down and I'd pull out my pocket, look at it and kind of do during rehearsal and then do the scene. And then once the scene was done, it was just like, and mentally crumple it up and just throw it away and just get ready for the next one. So when I say I don't remember that, I really don't remember it because I threw it away. <laughs> it's got this image of you trying to find the old videos, like loading Disney Plus, like, why aren't you on here? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes hard for me too, like watching something on like um, on YouTube of Bear and just like, and I'm like, I'm just critiquing myself going, oh, no, oh I could have done that better. Oh, uh, it's like, it's like that has so passed the ship of sail. It's like, just let it go. No. <laughs> so it's like, don't, don't, yeah. So I really don't even look at the stuff anymore. <laughs> Am I right in thinking that you had to have air conditioning on all the time because it was so hot in that suit? The first season, they realized that they just need to crank up the air conditioning. So you would walk in the studio and it would be freezing. It would be so cold so that, by the end of the, uh, the first season, the rap gift to everybody for doing a good job was this production jacket they had embroidered on it, no, Bear in the Big Blue House. But it was a fleecy jacket. So this way, with your fleecy jacket, you can bring it next season because you'll know how cold <laughs> the studio is going to be. <laughs> sure enough, season two, like everyone's walking around except for me in their fleecy jackets because it's freezing. <laughs> Speaking of the suit, do you know where it is now? Please say your closet. Please say your closet. No. <sighs> I live in New York, so we have like New York size closet. No, he is not. <laughs> is, uh, Bear and his friends are at uh, a workshop called Puppet Heap, which is in uh, New Jersey. And Puppet Heap takes care of the Muppets. So they're in charge oh. of taking care of the Muppets. It's not the Jim Henson company anymore because um, um, back when. Um, the Formula One was owned by the, um, this German company that bought the Jim Henson company for a very, very brief period of time. They bought him, bought him like in February. By September, the Germans had just like gone through all their money. So they were strapped for cash. And so they were looking like what assets could we sell? So at that time, Bear was so popular 
bear was co-owned by the Jim Henson company because remember it was part of that deal. Mm. So yeah. then the Germans said, okay, we'll sell you bear. And so, you know, to get some like cash, you get some money for it. And at that time, Michael Eisner was still in charge of the Walt Disney company. And Michael Eisner had been very good friends with Jim and had facilitated the deal to buy the Muppets. So Eisner heard about this and he said, he approved the deal to buy Bear if they throw in the Muppets as well. So they really got a two for one sale. Wow. <laughs> so, yes, so now Puppy Heap is in charge of taking care of maintaining and building the Muppets. And so, and Bear and his friends are like, you know, in their boxes, just stored away, standing by, maybe someday, <laughs> maybe not. <Modern> return. <laughs> maybe. Amazing. Right. Have this Crypt Keeper moment where the box is just like, <laughs> <it> opens up. <laughs> Pats off the dust. <laughs> just this head Cunningham. Uh, is it? <laughs> That's not so- nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Mr. McNeil, you work with a massive hero of mine in John Oliver. Oh, yes. <laughs> John. Oh, last week, I... Um, <laughs> obsessed is probably the wrong word. No, or, or is it? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I adore that man so much. But you obviously puppeteer on there. You've been Mr. Nutterbutter. You've been Totes My Goats. Um, and amongst other other wonderful characters that have been on that show, how did that happen? I'm I'm so excited to ask this question. <laughs> yeah, it's like when John first started his show, um, like midway through that first season, I got a call from um, my friend puppeteer Stephanie DeBruzzo. Stephanie was one of the original cast members in Avenue Q, and so she was contacted because they wanted to do this uh, parody of a of a, a prison reform using puppets. So she asked, like, are you free this weekend? I was like, sure, I'll come in. So it was me, myself, Stephanie, and uh, James Voitall. And so they had never done this. I mean, this was, this, was, this was the first season, and it was halfway through. And so this was new for John. So John came in that Saturday and, like, read through the script with us and saw the puppets, and we just started bantering with them, and he loved it. And so uh, the next day we taped in front of a, a live audience. Um, we did a r- run through with him and there was like one line I, I thought I would use, but I thought, no, I'm going to wait until we're actually like doing it. <laughs> and so the actual um, thing happens where um, John walks over and this is kind of like this kind of Sesame-ish kind of set and the puppets are there. And um there's like, I'm like this monster character and Stephanie and James are these kid characters. And then there's another puppeteer who's like this alligator kind of character. And he says something and um, John says, all right, let's calm down, Mr. Alligator. And he's like, it's like, alligator, I'm a crocodile. And during the course of the rehearsal, you know, he gets offended that, you know, you think we all, you know, we all look alike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so before he gets like, it's not an alligator, I'm a crocodile. And before he says anything else, my character goes, oh, Jesus, here we go. <laughs> and, and John, like, you can see on the tape, he's trying suddenly not to laugh because he's heard me say this. <laughs> so he's like, here's, like, you know, like doing this with his mouth, not to burst out laughing. 
And that was always the thing, like ever since then, like during the run-throughs, John never sees these things. So my goal is always to make him laugh. And like, I, I didn't, like the first time I did, did Mr. Nutter Butter, because he had never seen it, except for the run before the run-through. So I came out fully dressed and I was able to, like with my free hand inside, because he's sitting on my head like a helmet inside. Yeah. But I, my free hand, I could make his mouth open and close. But closed, then I can actually like jerk the head around like the way a squirrel would. Yeah. And I started doing with John and he, he couldn't talk. He was laughing so hard. He, had never, <laughs> he was just like laughing, he couldn't stop. And so actually somebody on Twitter complimented my movement saying like, did I research squirrel movement? And I was like, no. <laughs> you, did, you nailed it though. You absolutely nailed it. <laughs> but yeah, so it's always the goal to make John laugh with these things so yeah but he's he's great and he's as nice as you think he is he's so easygoing he's so funny he's so smart but he really also in this late he did a um i think it was back in like march or so in vulture magazine he did a, an article interview with him and he's talking about the mascots and all that and he really has a true appreciation for puppeteers and what we go through and says like people think it's so easy to do and he said it's it's not because he's worked with me, he's worked with the puppeteers on Sesame Street, so he really has seen like what it takes. There was like one bit where it was talking about, oh, I forgot what it was, but it was like, for some reason it had to be a seagull. And so and the seagull has to like pop up like, midway through the report and then pops up again at the end. So, but I, it's not like you can just stop and like load me in. So pretty much before, like once everybody's settling in the, in the audience, I, I come out and like, Seagulls, I can like a little back. And I just like, everything's set up for me with the monitor. And I just lay down on the floor and I'm just like laying there. And then, you know, John does his little introduction. He answers questions. I'm still laying on the floor under the desk. <laughs> and then he comes in, he looks down and says, I know. <laughs> and I'm like, and so for the bulk of the show, I'm looking at John's socks and just like waiting until it's time for me to do my bit. <laughs> And just like just laying there waiting, <laughs> waiting, waiting. Oh. and then once the show was done, he said thank you. And then that's when he got up, and he's he, then he introduced me, and I pulled myself up and waved and all that. But like, yeah, it's so it's so funny, it's so ridiculous. I call it like you know, if it's like sixty minutes meets Monty Python. It's because it's just it's really informative and educational. Oh yes. but then it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's I great. just love the way it's. I mean, I'm sorry to like refer to him, but like, and obviously this is your interview, but like, I love the way his no. mind works. No, it's, like, it's great. Yeah, and he and he really appreciates like like what 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 we could do to help enhance that. We just did this thing with um about the vaccination, and it was the whole thing about how you can't convince <laughs> somebody like you know with like you know doing a song or doing some like little stupid mascot. I mean, like, what do you think we were going to do? Like, you know, get a giant cicada? Vaccine cicada, yes. And of course, that's me. And just like shuffling in the back. (laughs) (laughs) And John doesn't notice me at all. But again, during the the run-through, I'd never seen it. And so during the run-through, it's like I'm shuffling in the back. And he's trying not to laugh. And I'm doing all these little like, movements. And he's trying. And he's just, he, and during the run through, he just starts laughing because it's so stupid. <laughs> but, what's, it, uh, what's it like being in the void? The void, the void is very cozy. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, very, it's very white. It's very cozy. Um, I don't know for certain, but I think before the end of the season, 
you'll be going back into the studio because <gasps> more people are going this this past week Stephen Colbert went back into the studio and uh on and so other and and Saturday Night Live um when we when I did the Muppet Show bit it was like 75 percent full of audience and then the next week was the season finale and that's when they had full capacity again so oh. it's starting to get back there so I can't like don't swear but by me, but okay. I'm pretty sure by the before the end of the season, John will be back in the studio, and you'll have actually have a, a studio audience in there again. So let's see, uh, quite nice back in front of the studio audience then when you did. Oh yeah, this. it's like I mean he's done a really good. Not everybody could pull off like you know talking to the screen because some of them are so dependent upon audience reaction and it doesn't work. Like you know, for Jimmy Fallon and James Corden, it's like it's like no, it's like no. But but for John, he really is like talking to you because that's. Even when he has an audience, he's still talking to you at home. Mm. So it still continued that way as well. So he was able to really make it work. But I'm sure he's looking forward to getting back in front of an audience too and have their, because there's nothing like having the audience like react to something, which is, and they just do like the most, like the bigger and the dumber it is. The <laughs> audience just loves it. <laughs> <laughs> We were just talking then about some some of the characters you've done, like on the show. How do you find out what you're doing? Are you pre-warned, or do you walk in, see the suit, question everything about your life? And it's like, what happened? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they would. They do sometimes. It would be um, before the pandemic. It was like last minute. Like I would literally get a call sometimes the day before it's like no can you come in tomorrow can you come in this weekend it's just like uh sure like what am i doing but um with this past uh season so far they they've let me know like like kind of like two weeks in advance we're thinking of doing this because then i have to get a covid test it has to pass and then i get the green light to go to you know the void and uh, be, <laughs> be with john but before that it was just like sometimes very last minute and they were just like throw things together and bob flanagan would often have to like build something at like the last minute so that's how creations like mr nutterbutter came about because it was like the last minute like i i could i yeah the first time i put them on i could still smell the barge glue inside drying because it was that quick wow. <laughs> make it like and, and have it delivered so yeah so but it really is the whims of the writers and john so it's like i have like often you go in like, what is it this time? And then it's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I just have this image in my head of, you, of your wife, like, yeah, you're cooking dinner or something. Then you get the call, you're like, you just rush out and go, sorry, that's back in a minute. Someone leaves you to dress up as a cicada, bye. <laughs> yeah, a couple of times I've taken my son and uh, he's loved craft service dinner. They used to have the best craft service. I'm looking, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to coming back is craft service because... Right now, it's just like, it's so sad going into <laughs> like, like, this is not craft service. No. <laughs> this is like a badly catered school lunch. This is like, what is, it's like little boxes and all that. It's not, I'm waiting for like, you know, the troughs of candy and like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, the little, the little tarts and cookies. So I'm waiting for that to come back. So fingers crossed. So now, before we start wrapping up, I wanted to ask you about your books. So you've oh. done 10-Minute Puppets and Bucks. Yes. So I love 
the idea of these books. They are amazing. I fully intend to get them when I can for my daughter because I think we could have some great fun with these. But where, what made you want to do these books? Oh, that was my wife again, Susan Edith McNeil, author of the Maggie Hope Mysteries. <laughs> I think five. I've heard I mean, that mentioned. July six, yes, it is. Like Amazon UK. <laughs> um, it was a, uh, it was her idea, and she said, like, you know, you know how to be a, a puppeteer, and you know how to be a dad. Why don't you put them together, and show people how easy and simple, you know, making puppets can be? But she said. Make it for people like me. I am not crafty. It's like, you are not married to Martha Stewart. And so <laughs> I would come up with these little things and then I would like show them to her and she would like go through and like make little notes. And then it got to the point where she would just like glance at it and it's like simpler, like simpler, <laughs> like too many steps, simpler. And so that's how I gave about like that's her idea. And then also my son too, because especially with box, he would just ask me like, make stuff for him like one time he was little he said dad could you make me a, a pretend fireplace and i said why said, for my pretend fire <laughs> <laughs> oh of course sure that makes sense so i did <laughs> but it's better than playing with real fire son exactly <laughs> <laughs> i would not be good with the cardboard so thank you son <laughs> such a genius idea genius idea you know oh. all the toilet roll paper holding the, the cardboard out of it because i i was never very creative myself it's always got like these art books i'm like uh no idea this is yeah. like fall apart or whatever so yeah, it's genius i'm with the the 10 minute puppet thing where you put the eyes and the tongues and stuff in the back yeah exactly yeah because like you can cut them out of the book but you can also go to my website noelmcneil.com and you can download a lot of like the eyes and some of the simpler paper puppets. You can just download them still. So make a, making it available for everybody. Quick and easy. Beautiful. I love that. I really do love that. I think it's amazing. Because, you know, it's like you said, this stuff's for kids at the end of the day. And oh, yeah. Exactly. The younger it's you get family. them into it. Yeah. Because like 10 Minute Puppets, I designed it so that kids and their families like could grow with it. So that's why the early puppets are just like finger puppets. Like you take a a washable marker and you just like put like, you know, dots and a smile on your finger. Like, you know, for like, you know, where your stump kid, that kind of thing. Like that's a puppet. And he just keeps going more. And then there are these little side things about, you know, if you have more time, you can do this and you can be a little more elaborate. And then throughout it, I asked my uh, puppeteering friends for uh, advice to share with people. So about voice characterization or staging or writing or, are, are just like puppet experiences. So I asked like, you know, Frank Oz and Fran Brill from Sesame Street and John Tataglia from Avenue Q and the introductions written by Jerry Nelson from the Muppets. And so I was like, I'm just so proud that they actually did that for me. So it's a really, it's a really great book. So you can get it, you can get it on Amazon, I think still. As well as your wife's book at the same time. Oh yes. Yes, yes. after you've ordered the Hollywood <laughs> Five, I mean July 6th. <laughs> and go over and see if there's a copy of 10 of your puppets left <laughs> incredible uh tom have you got any more questions yes i've got one left so you're doing now something now called the show me show yes which is aimed at kids with autism and special needs i think that is the most beautiful thing ever it's really what well, i watched uh, the little clip on youtube before um what what made you decide to aim it directly at kids you know with special needs um 
because I got so many uh, fan emails from uh, parents of uh, just kids with autism and special needs, thanking them for Bear and how some of them still like watch the show on DVD or VHS or sometimes now on YouTube. And I realized there's not a show like that on right now mm -hmm. and that the, the networks aren't going to do something like that anytime soon. Because I remember years ago, I went to one of the major kids networks here in these States and I had this idea for like a music show with puppets and uh, human hosts and even had like um, little figures and like the map of the island and sample song that my friend was going to be the host like wrote. And it was just, I realized that this was not working. It was, it got to the point where it was like watching the last 45 minutes of Titanic. It was just depressing after a while because this <laughs> person was just not responding. And so I finally asked her, it's like, what is it you really want? And she said, Noel, I'm going to be honest. If you can come up with an inexpensive 3D, even 2D animated show, where during the course of the adventures, the characters have to collect items that we can then translate into merchandise the kids have to buy. That is what we want. Wow. Welcome to children's television, everybody. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yes. Okay. So then that's where it's that. like, okay, I'm going to try and do this myself. So I've been developing it. And hopefully someday it will be actually a full-fledged series so fingers, fingers crossed, crossed. yes yeah, 100% <laughs> until then it's on YouTube so you can like tune in and I have occasionally friends of mine who can contribute to it that's awesome Amazing. it's such an oh right I love you you just I just, <laughs> I, I just love it you know you've dedicated pretty much your entire life to putting smiles on kids faces and that's no, inc sure. that's incredible thanks it's like, I've, 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 I've had fun so far so like knock on wood I'll keep doing it plus it's just been delightful for me because like i say like you said earlier your voice is bears and it's like i've been having this conversation with bear and i'm, I'm loving i'm loving <laughs> life <laughs> um, before we get out of it we like to play a little game of our guests if you're more than willing sure it's called the quick fire round we literally ask you like five questions and you answer them as quickly as you can it's okay very simple all right first one yes favorite pizza topping oh Pepperoni. But the amount of times we've had that answer. It's a, it's a strong choice. It's, it's a, strong a very choice. strong choice. Yeah. Um, your go-to karaoke song. Oh, um, Glory Days by Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> Says if a lot you... right there, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, um, uh, I think um, the ability to um, like um, um, like lift things like mentally, like telekinesis, I guess. Oh. I just, just like to lift things up and just like have it float over, that kind of thing. Make puppeteering I, so much easier as well. Yeah, know, just, exactly. Just, I'm lazy <laughs> now, so it's just like, <laughs> like, can I just sit here comfortably with the little thing? Yeah. <laughs> puppeteer from over here. Just like, look at it, look at it going. Isn't that great? That's awesome. <laughs> Buy the merchandise, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Who would play you in the movie of your life? Oh, uh, let's see. Oh, there's a, uh, let's see. Well, oh, what's his name? He was in, um, um, shoot. Um, I think Rami Malek 
if we were doing like young and old, he kind of oh. looks like me. <laughs> That's a strong <laughs> choice. See that, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, just like, it's like, if you can do Freddie Mercury, he can do a Dolly Wiggler from the stage. So it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Dolly Wiggler. That's what Jim calls us. Like, you know, we wiggle dolls. <laughs> so good. <laughs> That's incredible. That, that's ruined puppeteering for me forever. It's just going to be dolly wigglers, man. <laughs> but professional dolly wigglers. That's the difference. Yeah, at least get, get it right, at least. <laughs> <laughs> and last one before we let you get out of here, a piece of advice you would give to a younger version of yourself. Oh. Uh, just, just like, just keep doing what you're doing because it's all going to work out. You might not think so, but it really, really is. <laughs> it really, really does. For God's sake, have fun. <laughs> Always. Oh. Yes, exactly. No, this is been... even something I tell myself now. <laughs> when I wake up, so I just keep doing what you're doing. It's all going to work out. <laughs> For God's sake, have fun. <laughs> no, this has been incredible. I've had so much fun talking to you. Thanks. I've been having I, a great time with you guys. Too. I appreciate this so much. Is there any plugs, social medias, anything you want people to, who listen to this to check out? I'm like, well, like I said, I'm, like, I'm on the TikTok and uh, Cameo I'm on Instagram. The Show Me Show is on YouTube. Um, and then my Knowles Book Nook, you can listen to on Apple Podcast and uh, Google Podcast and uh, Spotify and Anchor. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's like pretty much it. <laughs> it's like, it's like trying not to be too social media, but yeah, between TikTok, Cameo, Instagram, like that's pretty good. Incredible. No, it's no. been so much fun. Thank you so much, man. Thank you guys for inviting me. I hope you have a great summer. Have a safe yeah, summer. You too. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Everybody out there, stay safe. And, uh, when I get to the UK guys, first rounds on me. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> I would love that. I'm all over that. Seriously, no. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us. We really appreciate it. Sure Have a wonderful rest of day. Enjoy yourself. Take it easy. And we'll see you soon. Indeed. Cheers. Because we're. Hi, I'm Frank Guglielmi, and I'm the narrator for some wonderful audio dramas from Syscast, like Marty and Mars, Bounty Hunters, and a great part in Val Toby, with much more to come. You can find these programs on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or head over to our website, www.syscast.com. We are excited to announce that we are now affiliated with the Chronicles of Podcast with Tom and Jamie.